You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. I want to talk today a little bit about parenthood because raising Caleb was really tough. <laughs> so this will be cathartic for me. I'm just going to vent for a little bit. So <clears throat> uh, really early on, we had some hints that it was going to be tough. I remember one time Shannon took him, and I don't think Madison was born yet. Anyway, took him to a, a reading time at one of the libraries. I think it was the Stowe Library. And while we're th- they were there, some kid pulled a uh, fire alarm. And, and so it emptied out the building. They all go outside. And, and the firemen check it out. No fire. Hey, circle the kids up. We'll have a little instructional time on, like, why not to do that, right? Like, don't pull the fire. And uh, the whole time, the guy's talking. Caleb keeps trying to interrupt the dude. Like, let the man speak. And he's like, son, I'm not taking questions right now, whatever. And uh, and eventually, uh, Caleb tells Shannon that, well, I just wanted to say that it was, well, it was me. I, I pulled the alarm, right? And that was Caleb from the get-go. He was like that all along. He was diagnosed ADHD. I think he was not diagnosed, but should have been diagnosed ODD, uh, which is oppositional defiance disorder. Uh, It's a real thing. And he was legit. Like everything was hard. Everything was a battle. Had to learn everything the hard way. He was scrap. He was a fighter. And so from elementary school on, we knew every principal and every assistant principal and every teacher really, really well. We had lots of talks, lots of offices we were in. Uh, Even when he got to high school, I knew the school resource resource officer, the policeman, First name basis, right? Like we were, we got to know each other really, really well. And I even got to meet the superintendent. No joke. So like, uh, just before the end of his senior year, he decided it was time to do a prank. Uh, and what he did is he hijacked the school's PA system, uh, to give a little bit of an unauthorized announcement that go figure they didn't like that. And so they wanted to expel him. And so uh, we sat, I asked the school resource officer to come along because we were first name basis and uh, assistant principal and the superintendent. And we talked about it. I'm like, look, it's in everybody's best interest (laughs) that we don't expel the kid right now. And so they agreed to suspend him for the rest of the school year. He wasn't allowed to walk with his graduating class, uh, which really was not a sadness because he wasn't going to anyway, because, well, he was not going to graduate. Like, he had to go to summer school yet. He was what we call a super senior, right? Like, had a little extra to do to get it done. And uh, and I'll tell you, I, I've told you guys before that there was a season during high school where he was selling drugs. Yeah, not just taking, but selling. He he made it capitalistic. So, um, And uh, the sad thing about that, well, many sad things about that, but the, the gang that he was running with at the time, uh, they're, they're just not doing one guy's, uh, shot a guy and is in prison. Uh, one guy got shot and is dead. Uh, and so everybody's like, is that the pastor's kid? Yeah. Yeah, that's my son. There he is. Uh, and so raising him was really tough. Now, uh, Madison was not a walk in the park. She was difficult on on other reasons. I've spent too much time talking about Caleb. But, but every kid is difficult. She was just a different kind of difficult. And, and, and it was tough because parenting is tough. It's really tough. Listen, if you're a parent and and being a parent right now is kicking your butt, let me explain to you why. It's because you have children. That's it. That's all I got. Like, it's the kids, right? Like, parenting is very, very tough. Now, here's the good news. Parenthood is measured in decades. Not in days and not in years. 
Parenthood is measured in decades. And thankfully today, both my kids are walking with Jesus. Like for real, legit. Like they, they love him. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> there was a season where I didn't think it'd turn out like that. But, but, uh, they're, they're loving him. And then Caleb is married. My daughter-in-law, Rachel, she loves Jesus. They've got this young, new, but really healthy marriage. They're investing in their marriage. It's good. Madison is engaged. Xavier loves Jesus. They've got a sweet relationship. We're looking forward to her wedding this coming summer. Uh, things are turning out. And, and why? Because parenthood is measured in decades, not in days and not in years. And it was a long, long, hard, hard path. It was tough. And there were times, seasons, when we were measuring it in days and, and or in years, and I was despairing. I really, I, there was a time where I thought, there's no way either my tr- kid, neither of them are going to turn out okay. Uh, I really thought, but fortunately, it's measured in decades. And by God's grace, they did okay. Going to all that, because in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul, remember, uh, Paul, we're going through this letter, Paul planted the church in Corinth. He is their spiritual father. Parenthood is on the table. And so as we go through today's passage, you'll be able to pick up some tips and some tricks about parenting your literal children, by birth or adoption, those kids, yes. But if you're single or if you don't have kids, don't tune out because parenthood is the analogy. It is not the application. Remember, Paul is their spiritual father, not their literal father. Like, so it is about ministering to people. That's what we'll be really looking at. Nonetheless, we will talk about parenthood some. So my first point, if you're taking notes, here's my first point. Write this down. Kids are jerks. Right? And it seems obvious. Like they, they often they do not show honor, they do not show gratitude, they do not commend, they do not show respect. And that was true for Paul as a spiritual father. Here we are. Our passage today is chapter twelve, starting in verse eleven. Paul says, "I have been a fool. You forced me to it." Any of you, when you parent, you feel like your kids are driving you to foolishness? Yeah, that's what Paul's saying. I've been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Don't you love biblical sarcasm? That's what he's saying. But listen, kids are jerks, including Paul's spiritual children. So Paul ministered to them at great sacrifice and suffering to himself. He he fathered this church. He planted it and brought it into existence. The way he did that is he worked really hard. He worked as a tent maker to support himself. Then as a side gig, he's planting a church, which is more than a full-time job in and of itself. So he worked really hard. And then it says the signs of a true apostle were were performed. Now, do not be misled. That's not just miracles, okay? The signs of a true apostle were things like right teaching, orthodox theology, an intimate walk with Jesus, godly character. He, He showed patience. He displayed humility. He just said, listen, I'm nothing. There's humility on display. 
godly actions. There's patience through suffering. Speaking of godly character, maybe you notice that throughout the letter, Paul gets really specific and talks at length when it comes to things like his suffering and his weaknesses. When it comes to miracles, he doesn't list any of them. He's very inspecific about those. He's demonstrating strength through weakness, the signs of a true apostle. Then what happened, remember, he plants a church. He continues on his missionary journey to plant other churches. When he vacates town, these super apostles come in on their he, on his heels. And the church there is like, wow, these super apostles, they are so cool. I mean, dad's not cool like them. Right? Sound like parenthood, right? Dad's not cool like them. And so what they did is they started to throw shade at Paul. And then they started to accuse him of favoring other churches. You ever have a kid, one of your children say to you, I know I'm not your favorite. I mean, my sister, my brother, he's your favorite. That's what's going on. Caleb said that to us a lot, by the way. And it's only because the kid was in trouble all the time, okay? The other reason he says that to us is because through high school, uh, like neither of my kids deserved a car, but they were both able to get a car. Not not great car, but they had cars. Caleb thought his car wasn't as nice as Madison's. And it was actually true. Because he kept wrecking it. Okay, like, like that, that was on you, man. That is totally on you. Now, to be fair, he was the least favorite grandchild. My mom died earlier this year. I can speak about this publicly now, okay? So, so like on my side, legit, my dad died long ago. My mom, uh, so four grandkids, Caleb and Madison, and then my brother has two kids, Mitch and Liam. And the order was quite clear. Madison being the only granddaughter, top of the heap. Okay? She was the youngest, but she was the top. And then Mitchell, and then Liam, and way down the list was Caleb. Now you think, come on, really? No. I knew it. Shannon knew it. My brother knew it. His wife knew it. All four grandkids. We are all very clearly uh, aligned on this. My mom just didn't see it. I'm like, mom, seriously? Now here's the thing. You should not show favoritism. You should embrace all your kids equally. You cannot have favorites. And so Paul treated all his kids, the churches he planted, he treated all of them equally. Now with Corinth, though, he did treat them a little bit differently. He didn't charge them any money. He, he worked and did his ministry for free. And that's where he's like doing biblical sarcasm. Oh, sorry I didn't charge you money. Sorry I didn't bill you. So here what you have is you have this church that was fathered by Paul. They saw his godly character. They should have defended Paul. They should have commended Paul. Now, not blindly. Listen, we do not expect children to commend abusive parents. No, not at all. And sometimes what you have in a minister and a ministry leader is you have abuse and you have gross sin. We don't defend that. We don't commend that. No, no, no. But that's not Paul's case. And so in Paul's case, the church absolutely should have commended their spiritual dad. They should have shouted down the super apostles. Instead, they jumped on the bandwagon and said, yeah, my dad's a loser. My dad's such a loser. That's what they were saying. And Paul was just not flashy enough for them. So uh, one of the things I've learned in ministry over the years is it's the friendly fire that hurts the most. 
And, and it, it surprised me in ministry over the decades. Like when, when you go into, you expect to get it from the world, from the outside. That you expect the bullets to fly across the battlefield. What you don't expect is the bullets that hit you in the back. The, the friendly fire from your your own team, right? And, and I think you guys can relate to this a little bit. Like, think of road rage, right? So you're going down the road. Somebody doesn't like what you're doing. And so they give you the finger and they say, I hate you. Whatever, dude. Drive on, you drive home, you get home, you get out, you go inside, and one of your children is there, and the child gives you the finger and says, I hate you. That hits differently, doesn't it? See, it's it's friendly fire. It's, it's from those inside, and that's what Paul is experiencing, because that's how children often roll. Unfortunately, they are not grateful. They are not respectful. They don't commend their parents. That's just a reality. In fact, instead what they do is they tend to make fun of their parents. I recently got made fun of because I use too much punctuation in my texts. <laughs> Sorry about that, right? I mean, most of the stuff is silly, right? Like they'll make fun of what parents wear. Okay, this is where, like, they'll make fun of you for wearing, like, socks with your, well now, socks and Burks are back in. Right? Like this stuff is just a moving target, right? Think about Crocs. Like Crocs were cool, and then they were like so not cool, and now they're cool again. You can't keep up, right? And I think what happens is this stuff skips generations, right? That's why we love our grandparents. Cause it, like our parents are dumb, but our grandparents, it skipped them, and they're like us. Also, also our grandparents, they never say no to us. And they spoil us. And here's the thing. What we want from our ministry leaders is we want them to act like grandparents and not parents. And, and we shouldn't. And we don't. We act like parents. And, and they, they didn't like it. So they should have commended Paul. And they didn't. He was their parent. And so they made fun of him. What's going on? Listen, uh, one of the things that's happening here is that children tend to have a very immature assessment of what is actually commendable in life. Mature, adulthood. Children are immature. And so are we. You see, if we're honest, we tend to, what do we commend? We commend things like worldly strength, fallen sexuality, We like style over substance. We like Hollywood. We got musicians. We got athletes. Wealth, fame, love it. We're children. Those are the world's values. And by the way, it is not a problem that those are the world's values. The problem is not when the church is in the world. The problem is when the world is in the church. Another way to say that is it's not a problem when a boat is in the water. The problem is when the water is in the boat, right? And so the problem is when we adopt the the world's standards of what is commendable and then we apply them to our lives as disciples of Jesus and we apply them to other Christians and to our ministry leaders, we end up commending the wrong stuff. You see, you don't need to have kids to be able to apply what's being offered in the word of God this morning. And Paul, Paul wasn't into that game. Why? Think, think of that. Paul played for an audience of one. Paul's question was not, what does the world commend? Paul's question was, what does my sovereign Lord commend? That's it. 
And if the world finds me boring, tough. I'm going to follow God. And Paul didn't care. So maybe, maybe we need to shift our standard of commendation of what we find commendable. Parenthood is helpful at looking into that because parenthood is boring. A lot, I mean, it's a lot about like making money and not enough and paying bills and finances. It's about arguing with kids again about the same stuff for the thousandth time, right? It's about driving them all over the place and cooking and cleaning and laundry. Also laundry. And then some laundry, right? Like it's just like, that's, that's parenthood. It's boring. This is why there are shirts that say adulting zero out of five stars. Don't like it. Wouldn't recommend it. Like it's not fun. You know, when parenthood gets exciting, when it goes bad, parenthood is like driving down the highway. You hope for a boring trip because when you get a not boring trip down the highway, something went terribly wrong. Parenthood at its best is boring. Boring is good. And the super apostles were so cool. And Paul, Paul did laundry. He's just a good parent. And so they found him boring. I want you, here's what I'm saying. I want you to aim for boring lives. Shift your standard of what is commendable. Adulting is good. I want you to work hard and work honest. I want you to spend less than you make and save and give. I want you to walk intimately with Jesus by doing spiritual disciplines year after year because growth in Christ is not like a microwave. It's like a crock pot. It takes time. You got to marinate. Disciplines. Display godly character. Be holy. Smell like Jesus. The world won't think you're cool. Tough. Serve God actively. And then if, if he calls you to marriage, if you're married, invest in your marriage. You will not find a good marriage. You can only build one. And you, and you got to do that. And if you, listen, if you love your kids, the best thing you can do for your kids is build a godly marriage, a solid marriage. And then if he blesses you with kids, invest in your kids. It will be long. It will be hard. It will be worth it. Then you get old. You have grandkids. And you lead the whole pack to God as best as you're able. You live a boring life and you die and you go home to your God who puts a crown on your head because you're living for an audience of one. Paul is a boring parent. He has sacrificed so much for his kids and he is dishonored, he is disrespected, he is taken for granted. But remember, this is not about little parenthood. This is about what we find commendable. And all of us can shift what we find commendable. So that's the first thing. The second thing, again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Kids eat money. (laughs) Bowls of it. Just, I mean, they just gobble up money. Why have money when you can have kids, right? So, So kids eat money. And Paul... Paul will point this out. So here we'll continue at verse 14. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. 
I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Now, he starts out there talking about visiting them for the third time. The first time is when he planted the church. The second time he spoke of in 2 Corinthians 2, where he talked about a, another visit. He called it the painful visit. So evidently he went, they were a mess. He had to yell at the kids. Nobody liked it. It was a painful visit. Now he's on his way there for the third visit and he's writing this letter and sending it ahead. Okay, so that's what's going on. And he realizes when he gets there, it will again cost him because parenthood is costly. And when Paul can't get there himself, he sends representatives in his place. And even his representatives, they don't charge either. They don't bill them. They do it at cost to themselves, just like Paul would. And so they're all living this out. Now, in the midst of this, remember, the, the congregation there, they go all fanboy over the super apostles. Oh, they're not boring. They're flashy. They're exciting. They're awesome. Oh, and they charged us money. That's how you know they're really good. That's That was their thinking. But they weren't parents, right? Because you can tell because they were in it for themselves to take from the kids, not to give to the kids. That's a mark of parenting. You give, you don't take. Paul said, I, I, I wasn't in it for what you have, but, but for you. Paul was a parent, so he didn't charge them money. So according to the Corinthians paradigm, Paul isn't very good. Must not be because he's not billing us. Let me ask you this. How many of you have billed your five-year-old for room and board? You say, that's just not a thing. Because Paul is a parent. And so what they shift to next is they, they say, well, you're being crafty. You're being deceitful. What's that about? Basically, they're accusing Paul of playing the long con. This was probably stirred up by the super apostles. And the idea was, that, listen, Paul didn't charge you. And the reason why is just to get you on the hook. Because then, you know, he's doing this thing now about the collection for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Yeah, right. He's just skimming and, and it's just a long con. Now, there's no evidence of that. It is greatly out of step with Paul's character that he's demonstrated, as well as we've looked at various times, Paul put in safeguards and protections and accountability and stewardship to protect against all of that. But there it is. They accuse him of it. But what's going on here then is that Paul will not allow them to turn the natural parent-child relationship into a business transaction. He won't allow it. The child ought to repay the parent with love, honor, respect, gratitude. The Corinthians don't want to do it, so they just say, hey, Paul, will you just send us a bill? Paul says, no. No. The super apostles build you. Listen, if I loved you more, should you love me less? Parenthood, folks, parenthood is so costly. It is. Okay, let me tell you about Christmas lights. We got our church decorated, grateful to the volunteers that work so hard to make it look so pretty. 
Initially, I was very against Christmas lights on the outside of the house, and that's because I'm cheap. I'm a Scotsman. Scotsman, we are cheap. And and so here's the idea. Let me explain Christmas lights to you, okay? You go to the store and you spend a lot of money to buy these. And your reward is that you get to go out in the cold, usually in the rain, and, and put them up. It's hard. It's not fun, right? Then when you're done with that, you get to turn them on, which means you get to spend money on electricity for an entire month for no practical purpose, Okay? The reward at the end of that is you get to go out in January. Now it's below freezing and take them down. No, no, I was, I will never, never put up Christmas lights. And then I had a daughter and this cute little girl came to me and looked up at me with her big blue eyes. Daddy, why don't we have glowies? Within an hour, I was at Target. Later that afternoon, I strung them up. I have put up the glowies every year since. Even when she's out of my house, I'll still do it, and I think of her every time. Parenthood is costly. It is very costly. It not only costs money, but time and energy and pain. It is costly. In fact, I saw this quote. This is mine. It was unattributed, but uh, it says, being a parent is like jumping out of a plane with a bunch of people who don't know how to open their shoes. So you fly around doing it for them. Then you hit the ground, but you don't die. You get up and cook dinner. (laughs) It's true, right? In fact, one way to look at it, think about moms when they go on the family vacation. You know who's not on vacation? Mom, right? Because now mom gets to mother from a strange place where she doesn't have her. It's harder. And she works all vacation, and you ask her why, and she says, because I just want them to have a good time. I want them to enjoy themselves. we got to honor that in our moms. But it's hard. That I re- reminded me of this statue. The, the statue of the little boy is made from taking pieces from the statue of the dad. And isn't that a picture of what we do in parenthood? We, we just give of ourselves to bless them. That is parenthood. And it's really hard. And it's really painful. And as you're in the midst of it, some of you, a lot of young families in our church, listen, I want you to think and have vision for and aim for who will your kid be at 40 years old? Target 40. What we tend to do is we focus a lot on who our kids are at 4 and 14, not 40. And here's why. 4 and 14 reflects on me. My kid is either embarrassing me or making me proud. And I'm all consumed with how my kid is at 4 and 14. It's not about that. It's who your kid is at 40. Parenthood is measured in decades. And so if your kid is a train wreck, I'll bet he or she ain't 40 yet. And so you got time. Do the long game. Do the long game. Now, if you go into parenthood thinking that parenthood's going to hook you up, (laughs) wow, you'd be disappointed. It, it really, you will serve, you will give, you will bless, it'll be painful, and we call that parenthood. And that's why Paul said, I don't seek what is yours, I seek you, I want you. What can I give to you, not what can, I can take for you. So he acted like a parent to them. And parenthood is hard. And what he did is he poured himself out for their souls. Remember then, 
Parenthood is the analogy, not the application. It's about spiritual parenthood. It's about ministering to people. And see, kids, what they do is they just take, and parents are supposed to give. And so the question is, when you approach all the people surrounding your life, do you approach them as a child or as a parent? Meaning, do you just try to take from people, or are you looking to give to people? I mean, I I don't want you to be a doormat. Sometimes you have to put in boundaries. You have to practice self-care so that you can do this for the long haul. But what I'm basically asking is, do you love people or use people? And what we're supposed to do is love people and use things. And what we tend to do is love things and use people. And all of us can grow in that. What if we approach people to give, not to take? What if we approach as a parent, not as a needy child? And it's hard and it's costly By the way, it was for Jesus too. It was for the Apostle Paul. Why did they do it? Why should we do it? Listen, when I was parenting my two children, there were times when I wanted to quit. Can I just admit that this morning? There were times when I wanted to run. It was so hard and I didn't see it working out well. Why do we do it? Well, whether we're talking about doing like parenthood to literal children or we're talking about spiritual parenthood and ministering to people, the answer is the same. The reason we do it is because we have an audience of one. And our sovereign God has called us to that. If you're a parent, that's a sovereign calling from God in your life. He's called you to that ministry. And all of us are supposed to minister to people. That's a calling on our life as disciples. And the reason we do it despite its hardship is because God called us to. And so we say, let's go. Let's do this thing for an audience of one. All right, so kids are jerks. Uh, they eat money. Oh, and then third happy thought is uh, kids will break your heart. Kids will break your heart. And, and they did for Paul at times. So let's continue in our passage, picking it up in verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. See that? Audience of one. It says, And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again... My God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they have practiced. And that's how chapter 12 ends. What you see in there is Paul fears for his kids. That's a natural state of of parenthood is to fear for your children. Now, he's not mad at them. He's not offended by them. They are not his enemies. But because they're his kids and things might not be going very well, he talks about mourning. Like there's grief. When your kids are hurting and doing dumb stuff like parenting, we grieve, right? He's grieving this. And what he fears is when he gets there, he'll be humbled. Now, in this case, it doesn't mean Paul screwed up and he has to be humble about it. That's not. This means he'll be brought low. That his heart will be crushed because he'll see his kids in a hurting state and his heart will be broken. Have you heard the phrase that a mother is only as happy 
as her least happy child. And that's what Paul fears is coming at him. Some of you have prodigal children and you know this pain very well. And I grieve alongside you. I understand. That's hard. It's hard. Think of that though. Think of an adult child who lives in another state. The kid had a messy, messy past, but there's been repentance and healing and is seemingly doing well. But now you're going for a visit and you start to get sniffs that he might have relapsed, that things might not be going well. And how's it going to go when you get in town and you find your child covered in vomit, worn out for his arrest, lost his job, broken relationships? How will your heart feel? You'll mourn. Kids can break your heart. You'll be crushed. You'll actually be angry. You're like, oh, I don't get angry. I hope you get angry. But because, listen, it's because you love your kid. And when you love your kid, you hate that which hurts your kid. See, see, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. I just don't care. But if I love my kid, I hate that which hurts my kid. Do you understand? That's why God has wrath over sin, because it hurts his kids. And he doesn't like it. And so if Paul finds them all messed up, what does he want? If you look in the passage there, one word, repentance. That's what he's shooting for. Do you see that? It's not sinlessness. He gives two lists of sins. The first list is kind of a mundane, run-of-the-mill stuff that we put up with too easily in the church. And we think it's no big deal, but it's like a constant low-grade fever. The second list are like the biggies. Like, oh boy, oh boy, there's the big. But listen, redemption does messy. Nobody is too dirty for Jesus. The payment of Christ on the cross was completely sufficient to cover anything you did. But there must be repentance. So the question for Paul is not whether or not his kids sin, but are they repentant? Are they humble? Are they teachable? And so if somebody comes in this place and they've got a terrible past, we say, you're in the right place because you're like us. And what we're looking for is their repentance. Not that they continue in their, in their sin, but repentance. And when they do repent, then what we have is we see Jesus is writing a gorgeous story of redemption on their lives like he did for us messy people as well. And we celebrate that. We love repentance. We love redemption. We celebrate repentance. And so let's treat people like that. Kids will break your heart, but we're looking not for mess-ups. We're looking for their repentance. And oh, by the way, the, the fourth thing, if you're taking notes, the fourth thing I, I want to point out is, is that parents stink too. Right? Like we make a lot of mistakes. We are very, very imperfect. So far, we've been talking through this passage as if we're the parents and the kids mess up, but we don't. Like our poop don't stink. Right? And then how we've treated it so far? But that's not true. Like we make a ton of mistakes. Why? Because every parent is a child. And we make mistakes too. And parenthood is difficult, yes, but it's worth it. And through it, listen, God is not, if if you're parenting your kid right now, it's really tough. Understand this. God is not just shaping your kid. God's shaping you. That's some of that anxious feeling. God is shaping you. It's about our growth as well. And, And again, the test is not our sinlessness. That ship has sailed. Okay? The test is our repentance. So when you think about your kids, when they messed up, you're not surprised, right? You know your kid's going to make mistakes. So what do you want? You want your kid to own it? 
You want your kid to apologize for it, and you want your kid to learn and grow, right? What if we did that? What if we did that? We're looking for progress, not perfection in our lives because we mess up too. And, and if we did that, listen, as parents, you will make a ton of mistakes. Would you give the gift of your humility to your kids? Like confess to your own kids the way you have messed up as a parent. Give them that gift. You say, but my parents never did that. Good. Break the chain of that mess in this generation. Give something different to your kids. Live out humility. Paul did. Paul was a humble parent. He said in this passage, he said, I am nothing. Then in 1 Timothy, he referred to himself as the foremost sinner of all. And in 1 Corinthians, I'll quote, he said about himself, quote, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's living out humility. And if you want humble kids, give them a humble parent. It's caught, not taught. You got to give them a humble parent. And now remember, parenthood is the analogy. It is not the application. The application is for all of us. Can we live as humble, repentant human beings as we go throughout our life? Why not? What are we so afraid of? We believe in the gospel, right? What does the gospel say? The gospel says that I am more horrible than I ever dare admit. But I am more loved than I could ever imagine. Both at the same time. If I'm more horrible than I would ever dare admit, what do I have to hide? Like it's already known. Folks, write it down. I'm a huge sinner. So are you. What's the surprise there? And I'm more loved God because of grace, because of Christ, because of the cross. I'm secure in his love, in my identity in Christ. I can be humble. Christians, we ought to be the most openly humble people ever. And sometimes we feel so much religious pressure. We go Pharisee and we're the least humble people. And it's gross. I say, well, Pastor Rick, what if the other person isn't humble? Got nothing to do with you. We live for an audience of one. And my humility is an issue between me and my God. And I need to be humble for my own benefit. You see, I will not give an account for their sin or their lack of repentance, but for mine. And so their lack of humility doesn't affect my humility at all. Shouldn't. Let me just end with this thought. Grace is like rain coming down from heaven. And, and, and when it hits the hilltop, it just rolls off and it collects in the valley. And then the sun comes up and bakes the, the hilltop and it's hard and nothing grows up there. And so if you exalt yourself to the hilltop, nothing grows there. But if you go humble into the valley, you will be soaking in grace and that is where things grow. And may it be for us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity we've had to get and gather, to worship you, to talk through your word. We admit before you that we are very, we are people, we commend the wrong things. We approach people to take, not to give. We struggle with just being humble. Father, would you change that in us? Would you do something different in our lives and then through our lives? And all for the glory of Christ, and we pray in his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.